The Bottomless Pit by Bill True. Episode 6 The Worst Possible Thing. July 28, 1977. At least, I think it's the 28th. None of us brought a watch with a date on it, so I'm counting the hours on my watch and think the hands went around a couple of times, but I'm not really sure. Oops. Otherwise, we're having tons of fun down here in the bottomless pit. We have to not waste our batteries and our flashlights, though, so we can't have them on all the time. But we did have them on once, and Paul and I played chess. How, you might ask? Well, it was cool. See, I have this portable chess set that I got two Christmases ago. I think it's kind of a boring game sometimes, but Paul loves it, so I'll play it with him every once in a while. Honestly, I guess I probably don't like it because I'm not that hot at it. But Paul pestered me like he was going to die or something if I didn't bring it with. And now, when he asks me to play, I start laughing at him. What, are you going to play chess on the air table? Paul didn't answer back. He just got a stupid look on his face. So I fish out the set. He takes it and sets the board out in front of him, and there it hangs, in thin air. I suppose it's like I did with my backpack yesterday, but I never really thought about it working for a chessboard. Then, he sets out the pieces on the board. It's one of those travel-type games, so the pieces have little magnets in them and stick right on the board, not even caring if they're falling around a zillion miles an hour. Paul takes a minute to admire his handiwork, then gives the board a nudge. And you know what it did? It starts spinning around and around right there in midair. It was so cool, just like when you'd see astronauts going to the moon a few years ago, and they'd have TV cameras in their space capsule. Those guys would do flips and spin things like pens and notebooks. It was great. And it made me feel really great to think, hey, I'm experiencing things like the astronauts did. And just like them, I'm an explorer with an important mission going to places no one's ever been to before. So. After Paul and Raylene and I had a hoot or two about spinning our chessboard, we all dove into our packs for anything we could find to spin. And I mean, we had everything out there. Peanut butter jars, silverware, toothpaste, canned goods, you name it. It looked like a space junkyard around us. Then, Raylene gets this idea. She reaches above her head with her arms and stretches. Next, she brings her arms down quickly and folds herself up into a ball. And soon she's spinning too! Paul and I looked at that and we were just howling. And soon, we were doing the same thing. I can't tell you how long we were going on like that. Forever. By the time we quit, our sides hurt from laughing so hard. We were all dizzy from spinning and I kind of felt like puking a little because my stomach was all jumbled up. We took a breather for a couple of minutes. And then we did it again. And this time I almost did puke. Finally, I had to call time and we all stopped. And after we settled down again, we realized we were sick of seeing things spin for a while. We decided to gather up our things and put them away. But Paul left out the chessboard. And in a good mood, I decided to play a game with him, even though I got kind of sore because Paul kicked my butt again. I should know better than to play him. And all the time he's thinking about how he's going to whip the pants off this dork. It kind of steamed me, and I sort of quit before he could claim ultimate victory. Immature, I know. Why do I get so worked up when I feel like someone thinks I'm stupid? Am I too sensitive? I just get so mad. Anyway, I did settle down after a bit. Raylene cracked some silly jokes, and it was hard to stay mad anymore. Oops, wait, hold on. Okay, I'm back. Raylene just asked me what I'm doing, and I had to tell her I was writing in my journal. Suddenly, her and Paul get all curious. When did you start keeping a journal? 
So I have to explain I started it right before Paul and I discovered the pit and how pretty much it talks about what's happening up until now. Then Paul looks at me, a little suspicious. What does it say about us? Yikes! I say nothing! It talks about the bottomless pit! And then Raylene asks, can I read it? Now I'm a little freaked out. I try not to sound like it when I answer Raylene because I know she didn't mean anything by asking. I know a hint of frustration creeps in when I say, no, guys, it's my own private journal. No one gets to read it but me. That's the idea. Dang it. I didn't think about this before. Having to write in my journal in front of other people, what do I do? Do I watch what I write because I'm afraid one of the others will read it sometime and get all bent out of shape? I don't want to do that. This journal is honest and real. The most honest and real thing I've done. I don't want to muck it up. I guess the only thing I can do is keep close tabs on my notebooks. I'm on number two right now, and I brought more in case I need them. I just need to keep a close eye out to make certain the others don't get their hands on them. Know what's weird, though? I actually trust Raylene not to read it. But for some reason, I trust Paul and Andrew about as far as I can throw them. And they're my best friends. Why is that? July 29th, 1977. Dear Journal, This is bad. This is really bad. The worst possible thing. I'm not sure what to do. I've got to get control of the situation. I'm the leader. Wait, you don't know what I'm talking about. I can't believe it. Oh my gosh. I can't believe it. He's gone. What am I going to do? I've got to get a grip. Take a deep breath. It happened. It happened and nothing can change it now. I just, I can't believe he's gone. Anyway, I've got to write this. You need to know, but it's the hardest thing I've ever written. Things were great. We were falling and having a good old time. Raylene was even able to coax Andrew out of his shell a little, and even though he wouldn't talk to me at all, he was at least mumbling a few words to her and Paul. We're all just gabbing and joking and horsing around. We even take out some of our provisions to make peanut butter sandwiches and also get out some pop. You know, kind of a celebration dinner to toast our expedition. Well, we had our sandwiches made and stuff stowed back in our packs. Each of us had a big old globby sandwich in one hand and a pop in the other, and we raised our cans in honor of our great adventure. Even Andrew raised his up, but he wasn't about to actually say the words great adventure, so he kind of clammed up at that part. Just as we were taking big swigs from our pops, we hit another one of those slow pockets. Suddenly, we were all trying to wipe pop off of our faces with our sleeves. It was in our eyes, in our hair, all over the fronts of our shirts. We were a mess. We didn't care, though. We all cracked up. Then we toasted again and took monster bites out of our sandwiches. Mine was soggy with strawberry crush, but it was still the best-tasting peanut butter sandwich I'd ever eaten. Then it happened. It burst out of the wall from behind us. The sound was deafening and gross, like an exploding, gurgling, puking kind of sound. And as we turned to see what happened, we were sprayed with dirt and small rocks that really hurt. They felt like BBs from a gun hitting us. Our eyes were clogged with dirt and we were trying to wipe them, but it wasn't working because our hands were sticky from the pop we spilled. It was just getting worse now because we had dirt and pop in our eyes. I was the first person to get my eyes cleared out to see it. And I screamed. First, because of how big and ugly and scary it was, this huge, big worm. I mean big. This thing must have been something like 20 or 30 feet wide and who knows how long. 
It was all dirty and grimy and slimy and blindly squirming, and all it had was this big, humongous mouth hole that kept chewing and chewing, and dirt and rocks would spill out of it each time it would open. And in this hole were jagged teeth-like things that looked like stalagmites and stalactites from like in a cave. It didn't have eyes, so as it squirmed, it thrashed and bumped around like it was searching for something, probably the wall again. And here's the second reason why I screamed. As it wriggled around, the huge worm was heading right for us. It was right behind Paul and closing fast on him. Paul hadn't gotten his eyes cleaned out yet, and he couldn't see it coming. I tried to yell to Paul to get out of the way, but I was so scared, the sound caught in my throat. And then, suddenly, it had him. Paul's backpack snagged on one of those jagged teeth-like things. Paul let out a yell, and then he was whipping around like a rag doll. And all the time, the worm's mouth was chomping and chomping, and I was afraid Paul would get swallowed up whole. But that wasn't the only problem. The way Paul was getting tossed around, I was afraid his brains were going to get scrambled. Or worse, what happened when the worm finds the wall again, and Paul is crushed against it? Finally, there was my worst fear. We were still falling slowly for now, but in a minute or so, if this was like the last slow pocket, we'd speed up again, and Paul would be left here all by himself to fight against the worm. Help! Paul called to us at the top of his lungs. The worm swung around, and by the way Paul's head whipped about, I was sure his neck would snap. Help me! I cussed at myself. He was my best friend, about to get killed, and I couldn't think of anything to save him? Plus... I was the leader. I was supposed to be the one to think us out of these jams. Can you get your arms out of the shoulder straps? No, that wasn't me. It was Raylene. She beat me to the punch. Now I felt dumber than ever. And also kind of resentful she thought of something before I did. I watched Paul try to work his way out of his backpack. No luck. I'm jammed too tight. Can't get my arms out. Just then, my eye caught on something on Paul's belt. The knife I bought him. It was one of those big hunting knives that fold and fit in a holster. I had it, and I felt a little better knowing that I was the one to come up with the idea that would save him. Use your knife, I yelled. Cut the straps. And that's all I could get out, because that's when I and Raylene and Andrew left the slow pocket and started falling fast again. As we sped away, the last thing we could see was Paul getting out his knife, fumbling with it and almost losing it, then trying to get it unfolded. Then he was lost in the darkness, and there were only three of us left falling together. We've been falling for I don't know how long now, and we still haven't seen or heard any sign from Paul. Not a flashlight in the distance, not a word. We've called to him until our voices gave out, but no one ever answers back. After hours and hours of doing this, there's only one thing to think. He's gone. If he was okay, he'd answer us. I know. So he's gone. I just know it. It's like I said before I jumped into the pit. What have I done? I just killed my best friend in the whole world. That's what I've done. Now we're all probably going to die, and that'll be my fault too. I'm sure that's what the others are thinking. Raylene and Andrew won't even say anything, and I'm still in such shock that I don't know what to say to them. I'm sure they blame me. I mean, I know it's my fault. I know. But we still have to move forward. What do I do to get things back under control? Can I even do it? I have to. I'm the leader. I've got to see this thing through. I mean, what about the lady? The whole reason we jumped in here in the first place. She needs us. 
And now I'm thinking about something. If the lady could somehow pull me down to wherever she was in the pit and then bring me back, and if she could make Dad's flashlight come back how many other times, maybe she can help Paul. Now I talk to her. Please, I beg, please help Paul. Save him from that giant worm. Keep him safe and bring him back to us. Please, please, please. I don't know what else to say right now. I'll try and write again later. Day one. I don't know how long it's been since I wrote last. I totally lost track of time on my watch now. It could be minutes or hours. Heck, it could be days for all I know. It's impossible to tell down here in all this darkness. Not that it matters, I guess. It's all over anyway. It's all over. I just can't believe it. It's been forever now and Paul is still gone. If the lady heard me, she's not helping. Like everyone else, she probably realizes that I'm a stupid dunce, and now she's sorry she put her trust in the wrong kid. Anyway, as much as I really hate to say it, Andrew is right. We need to find a way that we can turn around and go back. I have no idea yet how this is going to happen, but we have to try. Of course, now Andrew's all happy and palsy-walsy, and I think Raylene hates my guts. Man, it irks me down into my bones to do that. To have to say Andrew's right and to have to bow down to him. Oh yes, Mastermind Andrew, you're a genius. One more time. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Whatever. I just keep telling myself that isn't as important as doing the right thing. And I am the leader, no matter what Raylene says. And I am going to do the right thing, whether she likes it or not. I can't let another... Well, you know, I am not going to let that happen again. I don't care how mad she gets at me, and I don't care what she says. We're going back the first chance we get, and that's all there is to it. I just don't think I could handle if what happened to Paul happened to Andrew, and especially happened to her. Man, she is so mad at me right now. I can still feel her eyes burning holes right through me. I can't even see her, but I know she's doing it. See, this is what happened. It's kind of a long and involved story, so stick with me. It was a little while after I wrote my last entry. I was sure both of the guys were blaming me for what happened to Paul, and I was working really hard to keep it all in, you know? Trying to keep as still as possible for a while so I could think, and so I could keep myself from blubbering. I was trying hard to breathe easy, and I was trying to count to ten like they say to do on TV. I was just doing that over and over again, trying to keep my cool when all of a sudden, I felt something in my hand. I jumped because I was scared out of my wits. Now the thing gripped my hand. It didn't want to let go. But at the same time, it was gentle. Then I heard Raylene next to me. Shh, it's okay, she whispered in my ear. Then she did the last thing I would have expected. She came around in front of me. I couldn't see her, but I could feel her moving, and then I could feel the warmth of her breath on my neck. And then she put her arms around me and gave me a hug. And you know what? It was the nicest, best hug I've ever gotten in my whole life. I mean, I've been hugged before. You know, like my family and stuff. But I don't know. This was different. And I don't mean just because she's a girl. Even though I shouldn't say it. But that felt kind of good too. But that's not it. I mean, that whenever I got a hug from, like, my mom and dad. I always got this feeling that they were, I don't know how to say it, holding some piece of themselves back. Like, and this always made me feel kind of 
oogie and bad, so I kind of tried to stop hugging my parents too much. It was like they were hugging me because they needed something. You know, needed me to hug them, but then acting like they were doing me this big favor and being great parents for showing their kid how much they loved him, even though it was way more about helping them feel better and them needing to know that I still loved them. And when you get a hug like that, it's not so great. Does that make sense? But with Raylene, it was different. When she was hugging me, I could tell it was only because she wanted to make me feel a little better. To give something to me and not expect anything back. And it felt so good. And I could feel my shoulders relaxing and my teeth unclenching. Then I could feel my arms reaching around and hugging her back. But not just hugging her because I needed to feel better. I wanted to give something back to her. Not because I felt like I had to, but just because I wanted to. And that felt even better. Don't get any funny ideas because I don't mean this like the boyfriend-girlfriend way. But I just loved her. So after hugging like that for who knows how long, and after my breathing slowed down a little and my heart wasn't racing 100 miles an hour, she whispered again in my ear, It's not your fault. Oh man, that was all she wrote. It was just like that story you always hear about that little boy back in the olden days in Holland. You know, the one where he's got his finger in the dike to keep it from bursting and flooding the whole town. Well, the finger popped out of the dike and kablam! I just started bawling. And I could feel everything just coming out. Everything I was so afraid of. Everything I felt bad about. My mom and dad, Andrew, my whole life. And finally, Paul. And my dream of exploring the bottomless pit and helping the lady, or having anything exciting happening in my life, it all fell apart right in front of my eyes. Everything just gushed out, and there was nothing that I could do. I couldn't stop it. I just hung there and hugged her, holding on for dear life, and I could not stop crying. But she didn't seem to mind, which was really nice. She just kept hugging me, and even starting rocking back and forth a little gently, and whispering, it's okay. After a while, I started feeling like I might actually be able to pull myself together. The crying stopped and then I started feeling like a real dummy. I felt really embarrassed that I had broken down like that. I mean, I don't care how good it felt. I should be able to take it, I told myself. A real leader can handle it. And then, I don't know, I started feeling kind of a little mad at Raylene. I was doing okay. And if she would have just left me alone, I would have been just fine. I suppose it wasn't right to feel that way because she was just trying to help. But I clammed up on her anyway. I stopped hugging her and put a little distance between us. She hung there in front of me for a couple of seconds. I'm sure I heard her feelings. Then she slowly drifted away. I was numb all over. So, came Andrew's voice out of the darkness. Are you going to kill the rest of us off? Just like you killed Paul? I felt like he'd slammed me in the gut with his fist. Shut up, I heard Raylene snap at Andrew. No, Andrew snapped back. I'll say anything I want. He killed Paul, and he's going to kill the rest of us too, unless we find a way to get out of this mess and get back home. Shut your trap, Andrew. No, you shut up, Raylene. You are not going to tell me what to do. That idiot killed Paul. Good heavens, who knows what else is down here? He's going to get us all killed unless we figure out a way home. I am not going to tell you again. Any and all tenderness had left Raylene's voice. You could tell she meant business. But Andrew paid no attention. He was on a roll. Or what? 
you'll threaten to beat me up again because you're so tough? Because you're so hardened from your mother being a big drunkard that smacks you around? Well, boo-hoo, Raylene. Boo-hoo. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. Raylene launched herself at Andrew and started wailing on him. I grabbed from my flashlight to see what was going on. Andrew was trying to defend himself. He even tried to get in a few licks of his own, but it was no use. He was no fighter, and he ended up doing himself more harm than good. Raylene, on the other hand, was used to taking on the biggest and toughest kids at school and winning way more often than not. Each time she struck out at Andrew, she connected with painful accuracy. Already, Andrew had a fat lip and a bloody nose. I had to snap out of my funk and do something. Another minute or two, and I was afraid Raylene was going to hurt Andrew really bad. I let go of my flashlight, and it started tumbling in the air. Now everything looked like one of those fights you see in a sci-fi movie where they've got some strobe light flickering, like a bunch of snapshots pieced together and run through a slide projector really fast. I did my best to get between the two of them. It was hard because of the light not staying still and things still being all flickery. That, and there were arms and legs flying everywhere. Every time I tried to avoid one, another one would simply appear out of nowhere and knock me in the side of the head or in the back or in the stomach. I was beginning to feel a little lumpy myself. But I finally got wedged in between them and pried them apart. Stop it! Just stop it! I yelled at both of them. This isn't helping! It took another second or two, but they finally settled down. Both their chests were heaving, and you could almost feel the steam rising off their bodies. They were so hot and sweaty and mad. Andrew was a mess, but it's like he didn't even notice. They just stayed that way for a long time. Okay, I know I should tell you more, but writing all this out got me tired. I just need to close my eyes for a while. I'll try and write more later. For now, I just, I just don't know. You have been listening to the Bottomless Pit Podcast, created by Bill True. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, and also look for us on Facebook and Twitter. See you next time inside the Bottomless Pit.